to Talk for Freedom. This is Cesar Lopez with uh, 821 Freedom Chasers. We've got Chuck Paul and with Chuck Paul LLC. And we actually are bringing back Carla Solomon with us um, in this episode. If you listen to the last episode, um, I hope that you end up feeling something, some sort of emotion in your heart. Um, and if you did, that means that one, you're human and that you've got, you, you, you feel something uh, to try to help or you want to help or you want to do something. You're not okay with what's going on. We, that's what we want. We don't want anyone to be okay with what's going on in the world right now with human trafficking. And so we uh, are happy to have her back, continue to share her story uh, and tell us a little bit more about um, what, what has happened after um, she was rescued um, by, by the police. Um, and so continue listening on uh, iTunes. Look for Talk for Freedom, Google Play. Visit our website, h21freedomchasers.org. I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Chuck. Thanks, Caesar. So, Carla, again, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. I'm, we were just discussing, as we were talking about this new episode, the fact that that story is now part of the internet. It's on the data and that the, your story will now go out there for anyone in the English speaking word world to hear. Um, the fact that someone five years from now can hear that story and it might be something that helps move them to give them the courage to be the kind of warrior you are to go out there and, and allow God and the Holy Spirit to change their life, to become a catalyst for change. It, it's just so amazing. But you hit on some really strong facts. You, you talked about the moment that you were rescued, but how much recovery that had to happen beyond that. And that that's what I'm very curious about. I'd like to talk more about that if you're okay with that. Yes. So, so can, you, can you tell us a little bit about what happened to Thad? What happened to Thad after, after he was captured? Um, so Thad was captured in Murray, Kentucky. He was on the run. And it just so happens that the officer that identified him had family in Texas and kind of kept up with the uh, 10 most wanted kind of things and stuff like that. And he recognized him and staked him out for a couple of days wherever he was at up there. And they took him down as he was walking out of a house. Um, He was sent to Texas. in Brazos County, and there he was held um, for a little over a year, and then he, the trial date was coming up. Uh, the trial was supposed to be at the end of March, uh, March 24th, actually, and um, I had been to Brazos County a couple of times to meet with the DA and the assistant DA, everybody that played a part in the actual um, case, and um So they told me at the last meeting I had went with them uh, that they were going to offer him a plea offer and that the plea offer was going to be for 30 years. Um, It was funny. I was at my friend's house doing Bible study and something put it on my heart that we needed to pray, not for him to take the plea offer, but for him to take responsibility. Um, And we prayed about that. And as I'm pulling out of her driveway 10, 15 minutes later, I got a call from the DA telling me that he took the plea offer. I had to pull over and just cry. I was so relieved. One, that 
he took responsibility. Like him taking that plea offer was kind of like him saying, you know what? Yeah, I did that. And that was healing for me. But on top of that, I was completely terrified not to face him, but to cower down in front of him. I did not want to be put on the stand to testify against him and have to look him in the eye and and cry. I did not want to break. I did not want to show him any sign of weakness because I did not want him thinking that in any way he had any kind of power over me anymore. And by him doing the plea offer, I didn't even have to show up. That was such a God thing. God had freed you and God said, I've got this. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And I know that had to be very freeing, but there was a lot that built up to that point. There's a lot of that in between those, those, the in between page one and two that, that people tend to, to not understand. And that's that whole period of when you came home, you weren't strong enough after you were rescued to, to talk about what happened, to get on a stand, to testify against anybody. You weren't even strong enough to get out of your house. Right. And that's a very real aspect with many, many survivors of trauma I talk to. They're they're so terrified at that point and so broken that they can't even leave their house. And yet there's so many people, and I know you've heard that, so many people are like, well, you know, we pull ourselves up from the bootstraps, we we do what's right, we go out there, we earn our daily living, and if you don't, don't work, you don't eat, that kind of thing. Whenever you're in a position where you're not okay, um, especially coming out of something so traumatizing, work and like everyday activities are not anywhere even on your mind. Um, your understanding is, is completely, it's different. You went for a period of time where you were being told what to do. You were being told where to stay, what to eat, where to sleep. And whenever you go home, you all of a sudden have to do all this yourself, you know, and it kind of gets cloudy at that point because you're so focused on this trauma, all of these memories that come at you all day, every day, all of the really hurtful, really demeaning things, it plays over like a movie in your head. And eventually you get to a point where working, going out to eat, doing family activities and stuff that that, that seems so far to impossible for you, no matter how hard you try. Even if you want to do them, actually doing them is a completely different story. I used to, like, when I first came home, I would make plans to try to make myself leave the house. Like, my mom would come and get me, and, you know, she'd try to take me shopping and things. And whenever it came down to her actually being at my front door saying, come on, let's go, I would freak out. And I would cry. I would shake. I would rock back and forth. I, I, I would I would 
honestly like lock myself in the bathroom or in the closet because it was a small space and I felt protected. I felt like nobody could get me there. Um, it was really hard for me to to stop the movie. It, it, it's when I say a movie, like some people have been traumatized as far as like a car wreck. Okay. And those people, their movie is the actual car, like hitting them or something like that. Well, imagine not just a minute or two of this movie, but you have months of all of these horrible, horrible things. And it just goes from one thing to the next thing, to the next man, to the next beating, to the next, whatever it might be. And it doesn't stop. And whenever you think you dealt with one memory, another one comes up and another one comes up and it just, it gets very overwhelming. And all of a sudden you feel like you're a prisoner in your own mind. I was scared to go to sleep because I didn't trust my own mind. I knew that there was a lot of things that I had suppressed and I knew there was a lot of things that I tried to bury way down deep and in my sleep, those things would creep up. Those were the things that hurt the worst. Those were the things that made me feel the most shame, the most ugliest feelings about myself. And I didn't know how to separate that. I didn't know how to make it stop. And, you know, yeah, they say, oh, this med will, you know, medication will help this. And, yeah, they put me on all kind of anxiety meds and stuff like that. But none of that helped. You know, they have this uh, pill out there right now that uh, helps you with nightmares, night terrors and things. That's so far from a lie. It just, you know, it it's scary to be scared of your own mind, you know, of your own thoughts. And... The weird thing about it is that during this time of me being stuck in the house, not wanting to leave, it, it was like, I felt like if I did leave, everybody that was out there knew everything that I went through. Like they could see it written on my forehead kind of thing, you know, that this girl is so damaged and so broken and I felt like everybody knew, like everybody knew that what I went through, even though I hadn't even told anybody at that point, you know, other than the police and things. But my mom would take me to, um, like the counselors and stuff. Um, that's about as far as I would go, a couple months into it. Um, and like, even especially in public, I would sit with my head down. I, w I would almost put my head in my lap. I was just so scared of looking at people in their eyes. I was not scared of like what, I was scared of what they would think, but I was also scared of fat still. I had been told not to look at people in their eyes. So I felt like I was gonna get hit if I did. And it, it took a lot for me to break those habits. Um, you know, like the eye contact, um, there was just certain things that he would have me do, um, 
whenever we were in the car, my phone always had to be in the little cup holder. So, you know, whenever I would get in the car with my mom and go somewhere, my phone automatically went there. It took me forever to break stuff like that. I just, I had, every time I would do something like that, I would try to remind myself, Carla, you don't have to do that, you know? And every time I, I started to learn how to train my brain um, with the help of, of, a spiritual counselor, not a licensed counselor, a spiritual counselor. She explained to me and helped me break soul ties. She explained to me how to, um, that I could, that I had the authority in Christ to ask for my pieces back. When you're with someone sexually, you actually become one. So you change, exchange ties with that person and until that is broken well for me until that was broken I could not let it go but once it was broken I was able to every time like the memory would come up I'd be like "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh Jesus told me I'm forgiven for that and I had to like train my brain to that and that was the only thing that helped me find any kind of relief is whenever my mind would start playing the movie I would start reciting scripture my favorite one was second Timothy 1 and 7 God had not given me the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and I would actually like chant that almost because that blocked out the movie and I and once I figured that out it was like the golden key every time those memories would try to like come at me I would nope God had not given me the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and I would start like saying oh no I've already been forgiven for that like I had to train myself to know that I've already found freedom in this that that would that the movie was able to be paused. It was able to be stopped. That's powerful because one of the things that we, with the Freedom Chasers do is we talk about how, you know, God, he's the key, you know, to not only to end this, but to restoration um, and to heal uh, and to, you know, put the pieces back together. Um, He's the key and, you know, sometimes uh, someone who doesn't have that relationship with God doesn't understand, you know, what do you mean? But, um, you know, he, the Bible says that he was left as a helper. Um, and so, you know, that's what he is, is he's helping, you know, everyone that's going through these these difficult, really tragic things, he's helping them out of it. And he's helping you get your life back together. And he's helping you, you know, continue living your life. And so it's so powerful that, that you say that it wasn't just any counselor, it was a spiritual counselor that connected the dots, you know, and basically connected you back, help you connect back to Jesus Christ. And what we're talking about, what you're talking about is post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. And it's often misdiagnosed as maybe bipolar disorder. I've heard it misdiagnosed as people say maybe they're schizophrenic. Uh, with children, I've heard it described as maybe oppositional defiance or something, several different ways. But what it really is, it's compound post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's similar to what we see with combat veterans. Very similar. Yes. Because words that you've spoken about the movie and how the movie Mm -hmm. doesn't end, I can relate to that. As a combat veteran who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, I I recognize it in you. Yeah. 
and I recognize the movie that doesn't end and the fact that you have to retrain your brain to deal with what you've dealt with, say, okay, I've passed beyond that and create new, new neurological connections. That's what you're doing with the word of God, the light of God in your brain to help rewire yourself so that you're able to move past that trauma because that trauma is always there. The movie's always there. Yeah. And it's real easy to go down that rabbit hole. It is. I, I know. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> so where folks that say, well, you know, PTSD can be healed. It's not healed. No. It, it just, you move past the point where it's affecting your daily life. Right. And you move from a place of needing restoration to a place of being rebuilt. Yeah. But you did not, and let's be very obvious about this. The person you were before your trauma, that person's dead. Very much so. The person you were on the other side, that's a new life. Would you agree? I definitely agree. Um, and, and, and that's not a bad thing. No. It's not a bad thing. At first I thought it was because I felt like I lost myself. I really did. I felt like I'm not Carla anymore, you know? And, and you know, something that, that Fat did when I was with him is he, he didn't call me Carla. My name was Alexia. And, you know, so whenever, when I looked back at my situation, Carla turned into Alexia. And then after Alexia, I didn't know who I was. I completely lost my identity and I felt so far from what I used to be. And I, at first I thought that was a bad thing because, you know, for my family, I'm not who I, who I once was. And I came home a completely different person. And I mean, I can say now I'm very proud of the person I've become. I'm, I feel very confident in myself. I feel very, um, very powerful with God behind me and nothing tops that, you know, I, I feel completely free. I don't have, I broke those chains. Those chains are gone. And that's the beauty, that's the beauty part of it. That is what I am trying to get across to other people that have been down this road is that it doesn't have to be, oh, I lost myself. I lost who I used to be. No, why don't we, why don't you let God use you like clay and make you into the image he wants you to be? Because that's the beauty of it. That's what, that's where my heart is. That's what I want. I don't want to be the same person I was because the person I was before the trauma is the girl that needed love so bad that she would do anything for it. And that that's what put me in a position to be vulnerable to someone to take advantage of me. Right. So what you've become, because you've been allowed to become this person, is the person who is not just Carla and not just Alexia, but this warrior that's on the other side. I'm God's warrior princess now. God's warrior princess on the other side who he has made into a new person, which the, the Bible promises he yeah. will do, will make you into a new person. 
he's made you into a new person. And there's going to be those from your family that knew you before that are going to mourn the loss of the Carla that they knew. Right. And there may be even those that you knew in your days when you were with Fat that will mourn the loss of Alexia. But the reality is, is that those pieces of you have been reformed. They've been reformed into this new person that you are. It's kind of like, have you, have you ever seen where they, they break up tile and then they make these beautiful mosaics with these tiles? Yes, right. But it took, first you had to break the tile. Yep. You take these beautiful pieces of colored tile, you first to break them first and then put them on a wall into this wonderful, and initially when you put it up there, it looks all kind of hodgepodge and what is this? But when you step back, you look at it, it's this beautiful mural, this beautiful picture that depicts this new thing that was born out of brokenness. Mm-hmm. And and that's a, a great representation, I believe, of what God does with us. Definitely. On the other side of trauma. And, and the trauma, like we talked about, it's always there. But we don't allow it to control our lives anymore. Instead, we draw our strength from the source of our strength, which is Jesus Christ. And I'm so gracious for you for sharing that with us. But but I have to ask you, Carla, if there was one bit of advice for any organization out there that was working with survivors, one thing you could tell them, what would that be? Working with survivors, probably the the most thing that had impact on me personally was the fact that the people that God placed in my life in the first days of my healing, even though I could tell them I hated them, I did not want them there, they still loved me. They still kept trying. They did not give up on me. They did not judge me. They did not tell me, oh, well, it's going to be okay. Oh, well, you just have to deal with it. No. They were right alongside me, and they helped me. They were part of my everyday life. They they spoke Jesus into my life, and whenever I was going through something, you know, uh, like letting the movie play, for instance, they would they made me feel so comfortable to reach out to them in those hard times for them to pray with me that it created like this family that i have now and we're all in ministry together now but during that really dark time i received love judgment free without strings attached and they spoke god into my life that was probably the biggest cornerstone in my whole healing process thank you so much for saying that I just I thanked God when you started saying that because I could just feel what you were saying and and that is something that I talk to folks about all the time we are damaged yeah in relationships and relationships is where this damage comes from when it comes to trafficking that's where the damage happens so healing can only happen in relationships mm-hmm. and anyone that thinks they're going to kick in a door and pull a trafficking victim out of there and the trafficking victim's going to hug them and say thank you and it's going to be like just in the rom-com movies. 
That's so far from wrong. <laughs> so far it, from wrong. You know, and honestly, if somebody would have busted in the door and tried to save me like that, which there was a couple of guys that were uh, buyers that wanted me to run away with them. They were going to rescue me and stuff like that. It, it wasn't that. If somebody would have tried to come and rescue me like that, I would have tried to go back. Right. Not because I wanted to, but because I was programmed to. I was programmed that that's what I had to do. That's what I, that's what I was there for. Right. That's like, and people don't understand that whenever some girls come home or boys, children, a lot of times they try to go back. I tried to go back. Even after what I went through, I still tried to go back to him. It had nothing to do with wanting to be there or anything like that. It was more on the lines of I felt like I was programmed to be there, that, that, that that's what my mind understood at the time that I was supposed to do. And it was almost like, um, what do they call it? Uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Like the Manson situation, how the girls, uh, even though Manson was in prison, they just, you know, they just wanted his love. It was, it's like a trauma bond. You've been through something traumatic with that person and you feel that connection still. And sometimes you, you feel like you need to help them at the same time. I know it, that sounds sick, but that's what you think. And it was that breaking of those spiritual bonds. It was that yes. being able to be anchored in honest, loving relationship and to people that you did cuss at. Right. And that you did curse at. Yeah. And that you get called horrible names to and, and you were mean to. And yet they loved you unconditionally. That's right. Being able to anchor in that and draw strength from that was what allowed you not to go back. Right. See, something that um, I would like to share is during all of these times that I would yell and scream and cuss and everything, in my head, I felt like if I did so much wrong to you, you would leave me. I intentionally tried to sabotage those relationships with the people that kept telling me, Carla, I'm just here to help you. I just want to support you. I just want to love on you. I would try to intentionally sabotage those relationships. And only when I would try to sabotage that relationship and the person came back at me with love, that's whenever the relationship would start to form. That's whenever in my head, I thought, you know what? Maybe that person doesn't have a second agenda towards me. Maybe that person is not trying to exploit me like the other people did. That person might actually give a sh care about me. <laughs> I understand. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you said it several times, one with your spouse and, and with the people around you, is that we can't give up on, on you. They didn't give up on right. you. And we can't give up on, you know, everyone who is currently trapped, you know, in human trafficking. Um, and that's the one thing that we've talked about in a lot of our episodes is people keep asking, what can I do? Uh, Chuck said it's 
some people are trained where they can kick down doors and go and rescue someone. Some people are trained that way and, and they spent their lives preparing for those moments. Not all, all of us don't have that. We don't have the military training, the, um, the, the criminal justice training to be able to do those things. But there are things you can do. Um, and one is, you know, if you see something, you can say something. We've got the human trafficking hotline. It's uh, 888-373-7888. So you can report stuff to the human trafficking hotline. If you don't remember that number, that's okay. Just call 911. You can report it that way as well. So you have to get connected where you can. Um, you, they're, they're, Everyone can do something. Um, I hear stories of, you know, 10-year-olds doing things that are changing the world, you know, coming up with these crazy ideas to, to change our world. Each of you can do something. And one way is, you know, you can actually go on the freedomchasers.org website and look at the different things that we're doing. We work with Chuck to put care kits together for, you know, at youth, youth risk, uh, at risk youth that are um, possibly going through something similar. Um, you know, you can also get connected, uh, you know, with organizations in town that are uh, fighting human trafficking. Um, Carla goes and speaks at events as well. You can attend different events. It's all sorts of events, conferences that are out there that you can learn more. The whole point of the Talk for Freedom podcast is to shine a light on the reality of human trafficking. And, you know, we appreciate you, Carla, for coming in and sharing your story, but also continuing to share more about you know what happened afterwards and i think that's important for you know sometimes people like me that have never uh, seen it um, have never dealt with it before there's a lot of people that have never dealt with something so traumatic and so um, crazy but to be able to hear someone really share their story helps us understand that this is a really horrible thing that's going on but you can come out of it a better person that's right you know and there's people um, that want to help um, and so if you're one of those that wants to help one way is listen to this podcast and share it and share it and share it and share it and tell people about it um, to spread the, the, the knowledge about human trafficking. Uh, Chuck, any last words that you have? I'm just so thankful, Carla. This is, I just really feel like that what we've discussed today, I, I, your story just reflects so much of the things that I try to teach folks about trafficking. Um, so many of the young people I work with, their story just mirrors yours across the board and I see that that activity where they run away and they push people away and they cuss and they swear and they smirk and 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 folks that take that they're offended they're they're angry they're upset they're like this child doesn't want my help and they get frustrated with them the reality is your story reflects this they're still hurt and they need someone to love them even through the ugly yep that's right and I just thank you for this. I thank God for this opportunity. And I thank you for allowing him to speak through you. It's all him, yes. not me. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yours is a story of hope. And uh, Carla, Warrior Princess, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yes, thank you, ma'am. Guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys in our next episode. Thank you. <laughs>